Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of All the Hard Things. I am joined by one of my friends here, Brianna Calderon. She is a licensed mental health counselor. She is based in New York, New Jersey, and New Hampshire, but she is a native New Yorker. That is one thing that I do remember about you, Brianna. Um, and she's trained in evidence-based practices for OCD, anxiety, BFRBs, all the things. So I've always loved chatting with you um, in passing. I've just always loved you and I love um, your creativity and being able to talk to people about these um, strategies and just do it in a way that's very practical. And I know you feel really strongly about like decreasing the stigma and misinformation about there, um, out there about mental health. And so super excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, would love for you to give us your own little intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you kind of got started in this field. Um, maybe OCD in particular, although that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about imposter syndrome. So talk to us about like that, why that was such a topic of interest for you for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I am elated to be here because I think you're awesome. I am always inspired by you, not just as a person, but as a professional, as, you know, someone who's a mom, I aspire to be a mom one day, hopefully, if that's in the cards for me, um, seeing you as a business owner, seeing you really thrive at this point of your life has been really inspiring to me. And I've definitely taken some of the things I've seen you go through and some of the things that we've talked about on the side as like my own track to like forge my own path and just advocate for myself. So that's I'm so really, really excited to be here. Thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah. And like yeah. a huge compliment because I do, I really have always adored you. Okay. We we can just like <laughs> sit here and gush. Yeah. Tell me all the things. Yeah. So a little bit of background about me. I, aside from the intro that you gave, um, I am, yes, a native New Yorker, specifically from the Bronx. I have to always make that distinction because it really does matter to New Yorkers. So I am native New from the Bronx first, New Yorker second. Um, I'm I operate out of the Bronx. I'm here in New York. Sometimes I, for my work, I do go into the office once a week. Um, all the professional things about me, those are all really important. How I got here is also really important because I actually wanted to be a medical examiner when I was in college. I was on track for like pre-med and all that stuff. And I was always into like, I'm kind of like classic millennial, into the true crime, grew up on forensic files. I was trying to be the person like that people were interviewing in the medical in the coroner's office like this happened to this person like I was trying to do that. And so this is actually this is actually really funny because I always wanted to be like a horror film director. <laughs> I love it. And how funny is it that we became OCD specialists? Complete <laughs> pivot. Complete pivot. Those are definitely like 
it's something that I liked a lot. I love horror. I love if I read books, it's always about thrillers, mysteries, some mystical stuff. I really like to reading is my safe space. So I really like to get out of my kind of like head in that sense. And I'll read stuff that's like scary. And those are the things that re I really enjoy as a hobby. Um, but it didn't work out for for a career because apparently it's really hard to get into medical school. So I was not trying to the amount of work and effort and energy that it took to take that track I was not willing to do that but I was willing to do something that took me outside of just grad uh, undergrad um, so I did end up going to SUNY Old Westbury for grad school and that's how I started my journey as a mental health counselor and honestly it's it really was the decision that was supposed to happen a lot of times like you look back on your journey and you're like well this sucked and I wish I would have done this differently while a lot of the things that I went through coming to this decision were difficult, I wouldn't take it back because it brought me here and I'm actually, no matter what bad stuff I've gone through, I'm really proud of where I'm at today in my life and kind of where I've been able to find myself, even though the last couple of years may have been really difficult for me. So mm -hmm. I'm here to I, talk I about that. I'm like a yeah. big believer in like the the stories of serendipity and like how everything as cliche as it sounds like it all kind of strangely works out. I know when we're in the trenches, we can't really believe that or see that, but I am with you 100%. Like even in my own life now, there were so many flights that I should have missed and so many like weird situations with time zones. Like I should not be here right now. And by some like act of God, I'm here. So Let's just enjoy it, right? Yeah. It's something to be thankful for. It's never it's never going to really be easy. And I think that this is, as clinicians, this is what we also tell our clients or our patients, is that it's, we hope that the journey will be really easy. I will say that too easy is kind of boring. Yeah. And also, it's not where the lessons are. It really is about how you got to that place, not the moment that you got to that place it's everything along the way that whether it's bad or good we are adaptable as people so we will somehow figure it out sometimes it's harder to figure it out or get out of the trenches in and of itself and that's our own journey but we eventually figure it all out and it kind of all works out the way it usually is supposed to and this is why i love you because this is like ocd recovery 101 like yeah that you will figure it out and that you can handle whatever happens to you. So, but I think it's also interesting, like how you and your career, it didn't happen the way that you thought that it would. And I wonder if that led to your interest or like your own personal experience of what we're here to talk about today, which is imposter syndrome, right? So yeah. I literally, I'm sure it's one of those things, like I knew that we were talking about this. And so I've been noticing it myself even more the past couple of days or, or weeks. Like I, it came up already two or three times today in sessions and in other podcast episodes, I'm like imposter syndrome. I don't think that we're ever going to get rid of that completely. Like, I don't know. I just, I want to know your thoughts on imposter syndrome. If you could give us kind of your definition and conceptualization of it and talk about how it comes up for therapists in general and, and how it comes up for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we, every human being at some point in their life deals with imposter syndrome. For me personally, it always came up in school because um, I always, historically, I always prided myself on being really smart um, and growing up in where I grew up. I am from the Bronx. So like, obviously you think about New York City and it's a big melting pot of people, identities, all that stuff. And it very much is. Um, but just because that there are 
you're exposed to different identities doesn't mean that it's always respected in the way that one would hope. So growing up, I was always kind of like the, the brown girl that had to prove herself. And that's where I kind of molded. There was no room for me to not have that as part of my identity. So I was always trying to excel, especially academically, because I wanted to be seen as like, I'm not just some Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx. I am a smart ass kid who's gonna be a smart ass adult so that's always kind of molded me into the person that i am today and that's really where the imposter syndrome kind of started because just like in ocd your ocd is going to attack the things that are important to you imposter syndrome is going to attack the things that you are probably good at but it's telling you you're not good enough you're not working hard enough they're talking bad about you. They don't think you're good enough. You don't think you're good enough and they don't think you're good enough. So of course you're not good enough. And that's really hard to rectify when you're someone who is hell bent on achieving and hell bent on proving themselves because then it is never gonna be good enough. It's kind of like perfectionism. You're always striving for something that isn't attainable. You can only do the best that you can do with what you have at that moment. So that's kind of how it started for me really in that academic space where I'm like, I know that I'm smart, but I still feel less than my counterparts. Mm-hmm. And then when that comes to when it came to college, I'll be honest, I was a very sheltered kid. So I, you know, I partied in college. I was like academics is kind of it's part of it's part of the journey. But like I'm here to learn about myself. And I think that that's formal what college is about it is of course about academics but it's also for people to learn to find themselves in adulthood if you're if you're you have access to doing that um so for me the imposter syndrome got worse in college because i'm like oh not only do i not think i'm i'm good enough but my grades these letters these numbers that dictate my future and the next 40 years of my life are really important and they're telling me i'm not good enough It wasn't that it was just that although I take a great interest in stuff that's like true crime forensics, it just wasn't meant for me to be have as a career and that's totally okay it took a lot like a really long time to get to that and accept it. But having it as a hobby having it that's something that I just get enjoyment out of is totally okay too it doesn't have to be the center of my identity in terms of professional career. So then I pivoted to psychology and it really is my niche. It really is something that works well for me. Coming out of grad school, and you can attest to this and every person who became a therapist who had to go to grad school can attest to this. You feel like you learn a lot in grad school and you do, you learn the basics, the foundation and the foundation is very important. But at some point you go out into the real world and it's like, oh, I'm a crap therapist. I am out of my league because all these people are talking about this historical therapist and this father or mother of whatever school of thought and i'm not really that's not really sinking for me and i don't even know how to talk to people i'm never going to succeed in this career and that's really hard to rectify because you will succeed but it's going to take it's the scientific method you're going to have to fail a couple of times first and that's part of the deal of growing up and making something your craft but we don't want to accept that because by definition we are kind of perfectionists as human beings we want to do the best Mm -hmm. you're bringing up so many points like i was in uh high school and i was so the definition of average like c student 
There was nothing special about me. I had no hobbies. I had no extracurriculars. I dropped out of everything. I was kind of like friendly with everybody, but I wasn't friends with ev- with anybody really. Um, there was a period of time where I got made fun of and I ate lunch by myself in the bathroom for the last two or three years of high school. Like, And then I went to college. I went away and I was the only one who went to my college from my high school. And I remember very clearly being like, if I ha- if I ever had a chance to like do things over, like this is it. And so I really like put my head down and I really found, I found psychology. I took a psych 101 course and I actually learned about OCD and exposure and response prevention, again, by serendipity, like how the hell would we have learned about that in a psych 101 course? I'm always thinking like, what, what if I would have skipped class that day or like had a different teacher or whatever? Yeah. And I knew like I needed to do this and I wanted to be amazing at it. And I wanted to learn everything that I could. And then I went on and I was the top of my class and I was getting all these awards and it was incredible. And I found my thing. But it's like when you come from this world where it was supposed to be one way for you, that was to go to med school yep, and that didn't happen. And then, and it was, for me, it was to be very average and to, you know, not ever have anything kind of special about me. And now I'm trying to be like an expert in my field. It's like that my brain doesn't catch up. Like our brains don't catch up to reality. Why does it do that? (laughs) I don't, I think that there's, there's two parts of us that reasonably and rationally, we can see the goal. We can see the end, the destination, but the other part of us is not always acting from rationality or being reasonable. It's acting out of that pure instinctual animal primal drive. And sometimes we block our own blessings. Sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot and sometimes we convince ourselves that we are not good enough. And it really is us lying to ourselves. Yeah. And we do so much other stuff too. Like we, you know, I think we're all guilty of like always feeling like we just don't know enough. Like we don't feel competent going into sessions sometimes. Like we feel like you know, I don't know. I feel, I still get nervous every once in a while when I get a new client. Like, not that I feel like I can't figure it out, but like, I don't know. It's, I think when you really care about something, like we always kind of will care, right. And, and have a little bit of, a little bit of that anxiety, but we're anxious too, guys. Like we're over here on the other side, like we're a little bit anxious, like we aren't perfect. And there's a lot of shit going on on the other side too. Yeah. And I think that that's, one thing that people who come into therapy should know is that yes i might be the expert in the room according to because i i'm licensed in this field but it does not omit me from feeling the same things that you might be feeling i'm still feeling kind of anxious i'm still feeling kind of nervous i'm worried about if what i'm saying all all the things that you know the what ifs what if i say something that it comes out as word vomit what if i offend someone all those things that Mm -hmm. we have in the back of our minds we are thinking that in session we are working really hard to pay attention to you because you are the star of that therapy hour but we are also human beings and we're going through stuff in our own head and that's not to say like that doesn't make us any less experts that just reminds us that we are people too we're humans too we're struggling in the same similar ways And I don't ever enter a therapy session where I'm just 100% apathetic, like I don't care. Of course I care. I'm having plenty of feelings. Some of them are not all, you know, 
well-defined to me, but that's part of the experience. For sure. I am getting into kind of like, you know, misconception of therapy and and what are some realistic expectations and some other self-deprecating thoughts that we have sometimes. Like I was having this conversation with my husband the other day. He's also a therapist. He can, he's trained in ERP. He does more so work with people who have PTSD and he is like notoriously just chill as a cucumber, like super cool, opposite of me. And we were talking about how like he doesn't really mind seeing eight people in one day. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about how that is so draining for me. Like if I I cap it, maybe like two or three a day, like that is my my most. I can't see like more than two or three because it's so like emotionally draining for me. And we were talking about like, what is the difference? How am I showing up differently? Like what expectations am I putting on myself that maybe he's not putting on himself? And we came to this realization that like I go into therapy sessions and I know that I shouldn't, and you probably can relate to this. Like I go into therapy sessions thinking that I have to solve everything for that person that day. Like, like, I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. Like I'm coming into this session, like wanting to literally change your world and like fix all of your kinks in one fell swoop. And as long as we as therapists hold ourselves to that standard, we're going to be very, very uh, disappointed. (laughs) Right. Like for sure. But we do, we do like, yeah. There's so I, I would totally 100% and I love my clients. Like I will never stop seeing people because I do value that. Like just experience of being able to help other people. And I learned so much, but there's something to be said about the fact that I would rather sit down for an hour long, like Q and a session than an hour long therapy session. Yeah. And I sure. had to ask myself why, like why? Because I don't feel committed like wholeheartedly to those people who are asking me a one-off question. I feel so committed to that person who's coming to see me for therapy. I feel like I have to fix everything in their life. And that can be to the extent that it's not helpful sometimes. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that's, you're hitting on something, of course, really relatable for a lot of therapists, especially for me, but also in just being a professional and knowing your boundaries and having, setting realistic expectations for yourself and being communicative about that. We all have different thresholds. For your husband, his threshold might be eight because he's playing to his strengths that allow him to sustain that. And that's awesome for him, but it might not be that way for other people in the way that you've experienced. It's not that way for you. And I think that what you also said about wanting to be, it, there's more kind of like excitement about staying in an hour in a Q and a session than sometimes being in session. I think that's so powerful to say that out loud because as therapists, we really feel guilty for having that sentiment and it has right. nothing to do with the client themselves. It has to do with how we're dividing up our energy. Yeah. Me and you are kind of similar in the sense that like, I, as much as I love doing therapy sessions, I will do one in, in my schedule. Now I do have one day where I do eight sessions, but it's so spread out that I have 15 minute breaks in between. Mm-hmm. I have an hour lunch. It's my longest day, but it works for me and it doesn't overload me. But I also don't do that every day. I only allow myself one eight session a day day. And the other days are lighter because that is better for my energy and that allows me to not only show up for my clients in a healthy way, but for me to show up for myself and for my partner 
and for the people that are in my support circle right now it's me my partner my dog and my parents and my partner's mom and those are the people that are really our inner circle that we have to take care of emotionally physically and mentally and really be there for each other if i'm not healthy or if i don't have enough energy to spread that to my family I need to rebalance the scales. Yeah. And that's what was happening. As you know, that's what was happening with me before is that I didn't have, there was, I was completely out of balance to where I just could not get out of my seat after sessions to go take a shower because I'm like, the energy that it takes to walk from my desk to my shower is almost too much energy. Mm -hmm. because I have nothing left. And that's when you know, when your body is failing you, but your brain keeps chugging along, there is something wrong and you need to really reevaluate. How do I keep myself healthy and still show up for my job, but not have my job drain the life out of me? Yeah. Well, and I think that it's just not sustainable, right? Like it's not sustainable to continue doing that. And like you said, we're humans too. And we are literally, we, it's, it was such a, a a contrast. I also had this, it's like a previous life at this point, but I was also a wedding planner. I had my own like very successful business as a wedding planner, sweet peony planning. You can go look it up in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. It was super successful and it was so cool. Like that was honestly, like if, if, if money and whatever and health insurance like wasn't an issue, I would totes be a wedding planner. It was so fun. And it was so wild to go from seeing people on their best day to then coming back to being a therapist and seeing people in the worst phases of their life. Yep. And that like really made it, I'm like, wow, like we are literally not just a sponge, like where we can, if we don't block that like we can absorb all that energy but we also are there trying to save the freaking day too it's really it's a lot yeah and what you said previously about like your style of like feeling I need to fix everything in a session that is a very human and kind thing to do but it's kind for the person receiving it it's not kind to ourselves because that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself that you hold and we learned this in OCD that you are not that powerful you might want to be and that's a good thing but you are not so powerful that you can just fix everything and not most situations don't need that quick fix that quick cure there is no such thing we need to actually go through the pains of the process to get to the healing and when we put a lot of pressures pressure on ourselves right before session to go in and fix that problem it's usually not going to happen and we're going to disappoint ourselves and then cue in more imposter syndrome so we're just reinforcing our imposter syndrome Totally. Totally. So, I mean, I don't know if anyone has like the ticket and I don't think, I don't think that we'll ever get out of it completely. I think that, you know, I, I always envision the Yerkes Dodson curve. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with that, but I'll nerd out for people out there. So I do have a whole episode. It's called the Yerkes Dodson curve. It is essentially the law of the relationship between performance and anxiety and performance can mean anything from a test or, how you show up at work or your performance in a relationship or whatever, like performance is whatever it is that you want it to be, but essentially it follows a bell curve. And so essentially at really low levels of anxiety, we have low levels of performance. 
at really, really high levels of anxiety, we also have low performance, but at moderate levels of anxiety, we have the best performance. And yep. so you can look it up. You can just look up the Yerkes Dodson curve on Google, and you will find a ton of visuals that will just help you implement this. But essentially moral of the story is that we don't want to care about anything in life, whether it's therapy or our jobs or a test or a relationship or whatever, we can't care so much that we're debilitated by our anxiety and we feel so much pressure that we want to avoid it. And we're not showing up as our best selves because that leads to low performance. We also can't expect to be and have an absence of anxiety. I always bring people back to like when I was in high school, again, very average, um, I took this woodworking class and I didn't care about woodworking whatsoever. Like I, I, I think I maybe showed up for that class one day out of the entire year. And I just didn't care if I got an F in it because I didn't care. Like there was no way that I thought that that woodworking class was ever going to serve me or benefit me. I did not care. So what was my performance in that class? It was a nothing like it was a zero, right? If we don't care about something, we're not going to have that fire under our butts to grow or to do a good job. But we also don't want to be so anxious that we have this high pressure and we're irritable and agitated. So it's all about that middle ground. I don't think that we're going to get rid of it completely. I don't think getting rid of it completely is is the goal or, or can be the expectation. But definitely setting career and work boundaries is really, really important. So um why do you think therapists have such apprehension about setting certain boundaries like that? Like, no, I'm not seeing any clients after this time or no, I will be taking a one hour lunch break. Why do you think that's so hard for us to do? Yeah, I think a couple of reasons. One, it's we we want to show up for everybody. Like you said, we want to go in and fix things. Not only do we want to go in and fix things, but we want to show up. We want to show people that I'm not just, yes, this is a paycheck because everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to make a living. We deserve that. But I also genuinely care that you learn how to take better care of yourself than you are currently doing. And I want to see you flourish. So we feel the need to kind of sometimes be a little bit flexible, maybe more than we should with how thin we spread ourselves. So we might take that extra session that's a little bit earlier. We might say that we'll stay late. We might make ourselves a little bit more accessible when it comes to rescheduling. It really is dependent on how you feel if you're comfortable with it. I won't say that that's that shouldn't be done ever. I think that there are there's a time and a place for you to be a little bit flexible. But what really happens is, especially when you work for a big company or um, you know less so much less so in private practice world, you people don't want to be seen as bad employees, and you definitely don't want to be seen as a bad therapist that isn't willing to take one for the team. The problem is, that's how you get steamrolled, and that's how you get taken advantage of. We're talking about work, but that's how people get taken advantage of. Brianna, it's anyway. like you have might have experienced this before. <laughs> it's like I'm talking from actually being in the trenches of being burnt out. It's, and... it's like you've been burned by... No one knows what we're talking about except a few select people, but that's okay. I'm okay with a couple Easter eggs in here. <laughs> and I don't think it's an outlier to what... I don't think it's unique to what we've experienced and where we've experienced it. I think it's... A lot of people across different companies, across this industry overall, are feeling like I don't have it in me to do 
30 plus sessions. I don't have it in me to do more than 25 hours of sessions because it really is kind of messing with my mental. And I don't think, I think that's too hard to say out loud to people because employees are afraid of negative retribution. They're afraid that they're going to be seen as not a team player and therefore could be on the chopping block for a layoff, bad or lazy, lazy. Now we're not um, organizing their time well. Yep, absolutely. All the tropes that we can come up with that is easy for employers to place blame on employees, when in reality, a lot of times therapists just want to advocate for ourselves. And it's really interesting to me how in an industry where we're all about like the therapeutic buzzwords, especially on social media, we got to advocate for ourselves, mental health first, all those things. Agreed, all good things. But when employers are telling you advocate for yourself and then you advocate for yourself and you see no results, where is the incentive to continue to try to change? Yeah. Where's the incentive to continue to try to advocate for yourself when, well, I just did and I got shut down. Mm -hmm. I was open that I'm burnt out. I need to take time off. I need to change my schedule. And I was told that I can't, that I have, we have requirements. We have metrics. We have things that we really need to, that are the bigger picture that are more important. And while I think that those things are important, it's also really important to take care of your therapist because if your therapist doesn't take care of themselves they cannot do their job i do believe that we will continue to work ourselves into the ground long before our body quits but as long as our brain is still functioning we will push ourselves that doesn't mean that it's good and it doesn't mean that it's healthy and you are not your company isn't a flex if your therapists are all burnt out and no one's taking time for themselves because what you're doing is you're you're creating a culture that is now going to be become less quality care because if your therapist isn't taking care of themselves if they're drained and you can see it in session that's not quality care and yeah. you don't deserve that as a client and we don't deserve to be giving you that and we don't deserve to be working on fumes because of that when i think about that too like you got to do what you got to do, but I don't want to be the person who is seeing my therapist after she's seen 35 other people that week. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't want that. Absolutely. I'm a big advocate for, I really want therapists to, to foster this idea that you obviously need to keep your schedule intact and, you know, chronic cancellations aren't good, but sometimes you're going to face a day where you need to just chill out. And you have to be communicative about that and you don't need you might feel bad about it, but objectively you don't need to feel bad about it because you're entitled to a break you want to recharge because you want to be there at optimum focused attention for your for your clients, but you don't want to be you don't want it to be at the expense of your own health, because that's not going to get you anywhere and it's just going to build resentment. That's a dangerous feeling. Like once yeah. you get to resentment, like all bets are off because yeah. like you're no longer giving people the benefit of a doubt. Like you're done. Like you are done. You are, you're mentally done. You're physically there, but you are mentally done. Um, I had a really good point and I need to come back to it. <laughs> I had a really good point. Damn it. Um, that's okay. Because I just think that like the gaslighting is really real too. Like, yeah. um, oh, what I was going to say was, um, I think like, and I just talked with Karen about this. I just talked with Karen about this before the other episode that Karen was on. So Karen's going to be on the week before this 
So we were talking about right, right before we were talking about how like therapists kind of get like the shitty end of both sticks. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's so important. We need you. Like you're the backbone of everything. You're so important. And that's why we need you to see this many people and we're not going to pay you well. Yeah. And even just like from a government perspective, like big picture, right? It's like, oh my gosh, mental health is so important that you need this license. And not only just one license, you need a license for every single state that you're in. And it's yeah. a different license. <laughs> and no, 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 you can't do anything virtually, even though it's literally the same exact job. But that's that's how sacred and important and untouchable therapy is. It's so important. And we're not going to fund any of it. Yeah. <laughs> so important that it's almost inaccessible. <laughs> that's how, that's how important it is. And the gas, you're right. The gaslighting is absolutely real. It really sucks to, I want to be recognized. I think every person who works for someone wants to be recognized. And that's what, as a therapist, like if I'm working for someone, I do want to have recognition, but I don't want to be throwing all these, you know, sweet words for the end, the last line to be, so we need you to do more when I've been doing enough. And I'm not talking about my current situation. I am, I, I think that both of us are at a point in our lives where we are pretty happy with the decisions we made. Mm -hmm. um, I am actually feeling the lightest that I felt in a very long time. And I'm really proud of that for me because it took a long time to get here and I'm really happy about where I'm at currently. But to be told by, any employer, especially if you really care about the mission, especially if you really care about the the purpose, you really see the goal with the purpose, with the mission statement. When you're told we need you to work more and you're screaming from the mountaintop, but I have nothing else to give. And they keep saying, but we need you to do more because of dot, 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 bottom line matters first. That's not a place that cares about you. That's a place that mm -hmm. when you leave, they're going to post your job immediately and they will forget about you and probably and, not even say goodbye to you and not even say goodbye to you not even make it known <laughs> not even say like i mean i i don't want the all you know the fireworks but if when i leave a place i want to feel like okay people know that i've put in a, an honest day's work unless i've you know been a total totally garbage at my job then you know don't lie to me like that but if you know that i put in an honest day's work and you value, you've been telling me that you value all the work that I've been doing all along, say bye to me. Mm -hmm. That's what I want when I leave any job, whether it's th throughout like the last 10 years that I've been practicing. If I leave, I just want to, hey, you did a great job. Sorry to see you go. Good luck in everything else. And that's all that I need to feel recognized. But when it's silence, when it's Okay, do this, this, that. Oh my God, where did Brianna go? Holy shit, she's gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I have to find out through the grapevine, that if people have to find out through the grapevine or I have to find out through the grapevine that me or someone else left, that's suspicious. It's sus. It's sus. It's super sus. And I don't like that. Oh my gosh. Well, this was fun. I need you to uh, like meet with me more often to go over some like cathartic experiences yes and we need to have like a little um a little vanderpump 
moment because I see that you like Vanderpump. Oh and my I gosh, like Vanderpump. I do. I grew up with Vanderpump. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Anyone who ever out there, if you're listening, you want to catch up with Scandaval, I am all in. <laughs> um, unless you think that it was all fake because it was not fake. They would have never done that. They would have never yeah. like ruined their businesses over shit like that. So yeah. yes, if anyone out there wants to talk Vanderpump, VPR, you hit me up. <laughs> and hit up Brianna because we will, I will go on a deep dive for yes. sure. I got They're filming soon. It. They're starting to film soon. Yes. Yes. I was listening to Lala's podcast today because she uploaded them on Wednesday, Wednesdays. So, oh my gosh. Well, they are filming soon. I so appreciate you. This was really helpful. What advice would you give to therapists out there who are listening, who are like, oh my God, this episode was like everything that I needed. And now I feel stuck as shit. Like, what am I supposed to do? What advice would you give to them? It's temporary. It's only permanent if you allow yourself to continue to be gaslit, to continue to be steamrolled. It's really comfortable to not make a change and not shake the tables. And I totally understand. We are OCD therapists. We know how comfortable it is to not resist the thing, to resist the thing that you know is probably healthier for you. And you just do the thing that you know is not healthy for you. It's same business as usual. Take the chance, invest in yourself. It's not easy. You won't love the whole journey, but that's not the point. It's supposed to suck a little bit because the end goal is you thriving, it's you flourishing, it's you having autonomy over your career, over your life, and that is totally freaking worth it. And owning it, like, no. Yeah. Like, if you say that you're done, you're done. And if you say that you need a break, you need a break. Like, you don't have somebody continue. Like, I don't even allow that with my own five-year-old, right? Like, if I... If my five-year-old is hanging on me and he's saying that he needs this or wants this, or he's just being a jerk and he's hitting me with a pillow and I say, Eli, I need some space. I do not want you to touch me anymore. I need some space. I'm done. He listens. And if he doesn't listen, I would remove myself from the situation. Like if I'm not going to accept that type of behavior from my five-year-old, I'm not going to accept it from an employer. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. I would love for you to name drop and like, where people can find out more about you. And again, like if they want to get in contact with you or just say thanks for the episode, where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So clinically, if you or anyone out there is interested in therapy, I work for a group practice in New York City called Thriving Center of Psychology. I do do virtual sessions and I do do some in-person sessions. I go in once a week. So if you're interested or you know someone who might be interested in doing therapy with someone like me who has experience in OCD and anxiety, all those things, um, you can go ahead and look me up on Thrive at Thriving Center of Psychology. My counseling Instagram, which I utilize to kind of do some psychoeducation, I'm trying to build a bigger following. I really want to kind of like the track that you've taken, Jenna, like I am, I am really taking what I've seen you do and trying to like mold pieces around it because I am inspired by what you do. So Look I would that. love to have that. We'll grow that sucker. Yeah, yeah. I would love to have you guys check out my counseling Instagram, 718 Counseling on Instagram. Um, 718 is for my area code because I'm from the Bronx. Um, so that is, you know, near and dear to me. You guys can check me out at 718 Counseling. My DMs are open if you have any questions. And yeah, I hope to, you know, I hope whoever this touches, you guys really feel like. I do deserve more than I'm giving myself credit for. And I don't need to predicate my worth on what my employer, any employer thinks that I deserve. I know what I deserve. For sure. And I just have to say, like, 
you walk the talk. Like I, that is the vibe that I got from you. Like just from when I've seen you in the past, like, like that was not even a question for you. Was it like, you knew (laughs) what you deserved and you like, you just did it. And like, you just totally embody everything that you talked about today. And I just think you're the freaking best. Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> I loved doing this. This was a lot of fun. And yeah, we are definitely going to continue to talk and be friends. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again so, so much. And until next episode, guys, keep doing all the hard things. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in and until next time, keep doing all the hard things.